0: Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today, Andrea is serving up a review of cheddar, bacon and caramelized onion quiche from Good Things Baking. And I'm introducing an original twist on a Betty Crocker classic, a peach skillet pancake. Then, speaking of flapjacks, we'll introduce a variety of pancake possibilities, from batter ingredients to topping ideas we're sure you'll flip for. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk.
1: Stefan, I have shared in the past how much I love the quarterly cookbook club that I'm a member of here at my local bookstore, Browsers Bookshop in Olympia, Washington. That's right. And I thought because of COVID, we would have to suspend our cookbook club meetings. Yeah. And so I pitched to the bookstore owner that we hold it online instead, just because I was missing it so much. Oh, of course. I was lucky enough to be able to host the event over the summer, toward the end of the summer. And our cookbook was Jubilee Mm -hmm. Recipes from Two Centuries of African-American Cooking by Tony Tipton Martin. This is a beautiful cookbook. The photos are absolutely gorgeous. Ms. Martin is a food journalist. She is a scholar. It comes through in her writing, the history, the stories. And for almost every modern day recipe, Mm. there's a throwback from the black cookbooks that she has collected over the years. So there will be the similar recipe from, you know, 1823 or 1857. And of course, I just love reading those old recipes. Yes.
0: Oh, my gosh. What an inspired choice too, Andrea. How did you hear about this particular cookbook?
1: You know, the bookshop owner um, is the one who recommended it, and I think she had heard about it or perhaps had some readers requesting it. So it's newly published, and I think it's getting a lot of popularity. She wrote a cookbook a few years ago called The Jemima Code that won a James Beard Award. So she had already gotten a lot of publicity for that. What I loved about this particular cookbook is it focuses on, like I said, two centuries of African-American cooking mm-hmm. and all over the world, from West Africa to the islands, to the low country in South Carolina, to, of course, my beloved home state of Louisiana. So it really gives you this great cultural history. I won't share all the dishes we made that night because I could go on and on and on, but I will tell you about the desserts that people made. Okay. So first up, there was a lemon tea cake. And of course, (laughs) those three words, (laughs) I know, that just has my name all over it, doesn't it? And it looks absolutely delicious. You know, I do think in my mind, a tea cake is usually a bit of a lighter Mm. bread. This almost looks to me more like a pound cake, just based on the amount of butter in it. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is in a bundt cake with a lemon glaze. And so it's just absolutely beautiful. Okay and reviews were that it tasted fabulous as well. Of course, since we were online, we didn't get to taste each other's dishes, but we talked about how good they were.
0: And in a normal get-together, Andrea, you would also share the
1: food. Isn't that correct? Yes. Okay. That's the idea behind the the real-life get-together. So we just did a sort of virtual around the table. We started with cocktails and appetizers and moved on to soups and salads and then talked about entrees and then wrapped up with desserts and then Of course, we were just watching everyone eat their own food. (laughs) (laughs) That
0: sounds like torture.
1: (laughs) It was a little bit torturous, especially with this second one. It was a caramel cake. The person who attended Angela and made it waited to cut it until mm. we were all online together, you know, and we were on Zoom so we could see it. And so we got to see her cut into it. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And it had this gorgeous buttercream frosting on it oh my gosh that one was on my list next up is one of my all-time favorites a bread pudding with a whiskey sauce oh yeah me too oh so delicious and of course we made that in season one I want to say one of the episodes in the 20s I absolutely love the bread pudding that we made but it was so full of butter I think it had butter on every side yeah. of the bread, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was
0: like for St. Patrick's Day. I want to say in March, yes, yeah, of our first season. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you buttered every inch of the bread and the dish, and more <laughs> butter on top.
1: <laughs> so I'm intrigued to try this recipe because it only has three tablespoons of butter in the actual mm. bread pudding. Now okay. the whiskey sauce has a whole stick of butter, oh, well, but you know you got to get it somewhere. <laughs> you got to get it somewhere. So that one looks great. The ice cream chapter only had one ice cream. I also love that about this book. I mean, she was like, "Here's a chapter on ice cream, and here is the ice cream I selected." Ooh, the only ice cream you'll ever need, maybe. Right, and it is a peach buttermilk ice cream. Oh, and well, it sounds again. Like good. It just looked absolutely beautiful. It made me think of our roasted strawberry buttermilk ice cream that we love so much. Mm-hmm. And two people mm-hmm. actually made that, and both of them said it was pretty incredible. So. A big thumbs up and five-star recommendation for this cookbook. I think it's really good. And everything that everyone made, people were raving about. So, so far, it has a real strong start from my corner of the world.
0: Oh, that sounds excellent. Now, Andrea, did you make anything for this get-together?
1: I did. I made the coffee-scented braised short ribs. Good night. That sounds delicious. (laughs) It was are really good. And since I was hosting the event, I didn't want to be eating as I was hosting. So I made them earlier in the day. Okay. And then my husband and I sat down and ate them before we actually kicked off the cookbook club. So okay. I was one of the few people not eating as we were chatting, but I had a, a very recent taste of them. And um, yeah, big thumbs up on uh, those. They were fabulous. It all sounds so nice. And I'm so glad that you found
0: a way everyone's being so creative with ways to stay connected and you know this was different because you're used to having your meal together but I'm still so glad that that you thought to to host
1: it so well done to you and it was nice because a couple of our members who were out of town were still able to attend so you know the gal who made the caramel cake was calling in from Arizona I mean since we were online Mm -hmm. it didn't matter where you were right That was sort of an added side bonus that people who we wouldn't normally see, we got to see anyway. So, you know, it's definitely not the best, but I felt like it was a good way to continue something that we all loved, try it a new way. And uh, I am, though, really looking forward to being back in the store and upstairs and having all of those dishes to try. But until that time, uh, virtual was a good way to do it. It's fascinating
0: to me to hear about Jubilee because this was much like the book Pride in Pudding, A History of British Puddings, Savory and Sweet, that I read over summer
1: vacation. And Stefan, when you brought this book up, I had not seen the cover. And mm. you mentioned when you told me about it, yeah. about the cover. So, of course, after we hung up from our phone call, I went online and looked at the cover. And I just thought, oh, she undersold that cover. That cover is amazing. <laughs>
0: It's like the Barbie cake. Yes, that I know we talked about wanting as kids yeah. always, but it's it's a Victorian era lady coming out of a jello jelly mold, rather. Yeah. And it sums up the book almost entirely. So I mentioned back in episode one eighty seven that I had purchased this book and was looking forward to reading it. It's just my kind of book because it combines that food history with really fun and fascinating recipes and also really beautiful illustrations. The author's husband is an illustrator, so he did a bunch of kind of Victorian era, steampunkish illustrations to go along with some recipes. And then there's gorgeous photography as well. You know, Andrea, I think what was probably the most enlightening to me is that Regula, the author, kind of ran down the fact that. You know, today when we say pudding, especially in the UK, we think of kind of just a catch-all phrase for dessert. But for much of pudding's history, it's actually been savory and more like something we would consider to be sausage or even like a meatloaf today. Huh. Okay. And in fact, that, of course, still exists in many places if you think of something like haggis or even like a blood pudding or a black or white pudding. Those are those are sausages. <laughs> I prefer not to think
1: of this, but but I do get your point.
0: So when we think of a sweet pudding, that really came much, much later. And even when it started appearing on tables, there wasn't a specific dessert course until, I think she said like the 16th century. If you had a pudding that was more sweet, it would just be on the table along with everything. Nobody was splitting out courses by appetizers and desserts and, and main course, anything like that. Sure. It's really interesting to hear you say that the author of Jubilee had kind of taken a vintage or historic recipe and then updated it because that's what this cookbook did as well. Regula had really investigated and researched the first mention of a pudding or a particular type of pudding and in some instances it's reprinted or she has brought it up to modern sensibilities. But lots of times she's tried to stay as strict to the original as possible now I think I mentioned when I was talking about this book before we went on hiatus that there was one called the poor Knights of Windsor (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) when you were talking about the different titles that was one of the ones you mentioned it sounded so good
0: it's part of the fun of this book was these very intriguing names from the 17th 18th 19th century so the poor Knights of Windsor is like a fancy version of French
1: toast oh okay Excellent.
0: And if you're wondering, well, who are the Poor Knights of Windsor, which of course was my next question? <laughs> they're a real group of military veterans who are attached to Windsor Castle and they still exist and they still participate in royal festivities. But one can only assume when they're not eating delicious French toast, right? So
1: <laughs> you're going to have to see if there's maybe some sort of um, auxiliary membership you can sign up for to be a Poor Knight or something. <laughs>
0: Well, speaking of membership, Andrea, Regula talks about this thing called the Pudding Club, which if you join, you travel there and you eat a variety of seven or eight historic puddings and talk about them and all the food history. So when life gets a little bit more back to normal and social activities like this are given the green light, I would love to be a member of the
1: Pudding Club. So stay tuned for that. I've always been so jealous of your clubs, and now this has (laughs) – elevated me (laughs) to a new level of jealousy, a pudding club. How fabulous. Well, you
0: could start your own pudding club as well, though. Olympia chapter.
1: (laughs) That's true. Well, you'd have to give us all the historic recipes. I'm not sure we have a a great history of puddings here. I did want to call out listener Rachel, who ordered a copy of this book while she was listening to the podcast. Yes. She then posted and said, when it arrived, that it's a lot thicker than I expected, and the pictures Mm. are gorgeous they are then listener Jennifer had asked if you have her newest book which is called oats in the north wheat from the south (laughs) the history of British baking
0: savory and sweet yes I do and it's next on my list I loved this book so much and it really ticked all the boxes for me so I hastily snapped up her newer volume and I will be giving a, a quick recap of that in the coming
1: weeks as well well, if she ever needs an editor, I know who she should call because you're right. Her writing, her topics, uh, everything is just right up your alley. So thank you for sharing that with us. It sounds so fabulous.
0: Well, speaking of books, Andrea, later this month in the last episode of September, which is episode 196, we're going to be doing a preheated book club. And the book is a memoir by a food writer named Lori Colwyn, And her memoir is Home Cooking. If you haven't had a chance yet, pick up a copy. It's a really fast and fun read, and you should have no problem getting that under your belt in the next couple of weeks so that you can join in our discussion. And by that, it's really just Andrea and I talking about the book, but at least there won't be any spoilers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Our book club has a very low barrier to entry, and we like it that way. That's exactly (laughs) right. (laughs) All right, on to our recipe review. So this week is the cheddar, bacon, and caramelized onion quiche from Good Things Baking. I made this recipe, and I had a slight problem with it, Uh all due to my own fault, of course, that I'll share with you, but I can't wait to tell you about it, and I think you're going to be pretty excited.
0: Okay, I can't wait. And maybe now is just a good reminder to folks that for the foreseeable future when we're not doing as much entertaining and hosting folks for, for gatherings. Andrea and I are kind of taking turns with the bake-alongs. So she was up this week with the with the quiche. So I get to learn all about it along with, with listeners. So I can't wait.
1: Which obviously we decided to do this and it makes good sense. So we don't have extra food lying about. But it does put a lot of pressure on me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I usually count on you to be the recipe follower. And then I can go a little bit rogue. And I'm, I'm now realizing that might cause some issues. So oh, can't wait though. OK. I decided that I was going to make this for brunch and I woke up on a Sunday morning and just got right at it because I knew that I'd have to par bake and blind bake the pie crust and you know do the filling and all that sort of stuff so I wanted to get going. Right. Well I almost always in fact I don't think I have ever cut my pie crust recipe in two. I make that Mary Beth's reliable pie crust. That's yeah. on the recipes tab in our website, preheatedpodcast.com, mm-hmm. and it makes two crust. But in the spirit of, you know, not making more than I need and not having a bunch of things in the freezer, or in the pantry, I thought, no, I only need one pie crust, so I'm only going to make one pie crust. Okay. This ended up being a mistake. Oh, <laughs> I did make the pie crust, (laughs) and making it went just absolutely fine. Okay. And I popped it in the refrigerator to chill for a few minutes. And then I thought to myself, sometime in the last year, I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw a picture of a deep dish quiche, and it Mm -hmm. absolutely captured my imagination. Mm. It looked like it was made in like a springform pan do you know what I'm talking about I don't know specifically what you saw but yes I've
0: seen quiches like this and I really like a deep dish quiche so I would have supported you at this point had I known
1: yeah Mm -hmm. so I just decided that I was going to turn this into a deep dish quiche now I didn't I didn't change anything I just mentally decided that that is what it would be So I pulled out my springform pan and I lined the bottom with parchment and I rolled out my pie dough and I put it in Mm -hmm. and then I, you know, put the uh, sides up along the sides and it was nice and tall and I thought, yes, this is exactly what I'm going for. Okay. Then I lined the bottom of the crust with parchment Yeah. so I could put in, I decided to use dried beans because I had a ton of garbanzo beans that were just kind of knocking about in my pantry and had been there for a while. Okay, good use, yeah. And for some reason, probably just my ultimate laziness, I decided not to line the sides of the crust. So I lined the bottom with parchment, Mm -hmm. I put the garbanzo beans in, and I filled them up all the way to the edge, like two inches full, against that pie crust. So then... (laughs) I yes. have an idea where this might be going. <laughs> yes. You're seeing where this <laughs> might be going. So I then popped that into the oven and 15 minutes later pulled it out. Okay. Then I realized, okay, now I've got to get these beans out. Yeah. I can't reach through and grab the parchment at the bottom and I don't have parchment on the sides. And I thought, well, I'll just tip the pan and the beans will roll right out into my compost bin. Okay. So I tipped the pan and the beans rolled right out into the compost bin along with oh. the crust. Oh, the no. whole thing just slid right out of the pan, just upside down. Oh. And since it was my compost bin, I didn't feel comfortable, like even yeah. trying mm-hmm. to, you know, resurrect it. I have to say, it looked beautiful. I mean, it really. I was going to say, I didn't want to <laughs> ask, but I was like, but how was the blind it bake? <laughs> it, it looks so fabulous. Oh, no. And so I was just devastated. I just thought I Ugh. can't believe the one time in my life that I make one pie crust instead of two is when I need a second pie Ugh. crust handy. A second
0: pie crust. You yes. know now I've
1: ruined the timing for brunch.
0: Yeah starting again at this point would put you back another. Yeah exactly. Yeah
1: exactly. So I just sort of like huffed and puffed around my kitchen quite a bit and I think I went outside and watered some plants. and you know, <laughs> Cooled off. <laughs> cooled off. ground my teeth. <laughs> You know, I just was like, oh, I can't believe I have to make this other pie crust. I was so mad at myself, da, da, da. And I was just going on and on in my head. And then I remembered the Weight Watchers trick of having the crustless pumpkin pie. Classic. As a way, of course, to save calories. But in this case, I thought, wait a minute. Yeah. Does my quiche really need a crust? Yeah. Right. And in fact, if I made my quiche without a crust, I do believe I have just made a frittata, (laughs) which I love as well. That's what I made. And I'm here to tell you, it was absolutely fabulous. And I do not think the addition of a crust is going to change that. I think it'll make it even better. But you now have a variation, uh, thanks to me and my mistake. I can tell you that the interior bakes up into a lovely frittata. So you just fry up a half a pound of bacon. And then you remove the bacon once it's cooked. And in all of that bacon grease, you cook a medium onion that's been sliced. I actually diced mine because I don't like like kind of long strings of onion. Stringy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And then you put in a mixture of your six eggs and your cup of whole milk. I only had 2% milk, so that's what I used. It was absolutely fine. I didn't feel it needed to be any richer. Okay. And a little bit of salt and pepper. Oh, before you pour the egg mixture in, you sprinkle on a cup and a half of sharp cheddar cheese. And that is what I used. was a... Tillamook extra sharp cheddar because I just love that sharp flavor. And I did it all in my mother's 9-inch cast iron skillet, popped it in the oven for 30 minutes, pulled it out. We ate that thing so fast and (laughs) I I finally got my husband to eat breakfast for dinner. Yes. Because it was a mistake and I didn't have a choice. It came out by the time it came out and I got everything, you know, all redone. It was about 5 p.m. And my daughter was the first one to have a bite and she looked at me and she says, Mom, you know how much I love eggs. Thank you. This is so good. Yay. So she had two slices, then my husband had a slice. Then I had a slice. That night before I went to bed, I packed up two slices to go into the fridge. So another mm-hmm. two slices disappeared sometime between dinner and bedtime. <laughs> I don't I don't know who did who it, but it wasn't is. me. <laughs> and the next morning, both my husband and my daughter had The slice, my daughter had it cold from the fridge. My husband reheated his. They both raved about it. So, I mean, this recipe is a keeper. It is so good. And while I said that the other reason my husband doesn't like quiche is, you know, sort of that way of sneaking in wilted vegetables. Yes. As I served it to him, he said, you know what would be good in this? Maybe some chives or some green onions. And I was like, aha, I knew it.
0: I thought you were gonna say you know we be getting this some corn.
1: Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> he probably would have, but now.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, Andrea, what could you fry in half a pound of bacon that wouldn't taste absolutely delicious? You know, <laughs> yeah, I love point. that. First of all, you're reusing that grease, which is amazing, but then it just adds so much that. nice flavor to the to the onions as well. So. I like that this quiche, it looks really kind of basic and straightforward on first blush. But I think when you put it all together, it becomes more than the
1: sum of its parts. And I like that too. I agree. And my husband and daughter thought that too. I mean, my daughter mentioned the eggs. And of course, with six eggs, it is very eggy. Mm -hmm. But my husband made the comment about the caramelized onions and how good those tasted. And I, of course, love the bacon. So (laughs) I think we all had a little bit of our favorite in there. And I thought it was really easy. I think that it is a great brunch item. I think it's great if you have um, people spending the weekend and you need to get something quickly in the oven the next morning for breakfast to share with people. I think that would be a good bake as well.
0: Oh, well, I can't wait to try it with and without the crust. Because frankly, one of the things that I retained from my Weight Watchers days was that crustless pumpkin pie, which is just like a good pumpkin souffle kind of, and it's delightful so I imagine this was as well and will be even better
1: with a pie crust underneath it too and perhaps a deep dish pie crust if I can find that deep dish quiche I did find a deep dish quiche Lorraine recipe that had a picture very similar to the one I think I saw so yeah I think I can do it
0: and it sounds like you know it will work just lining the sides of the pan as well yeah Yeah. perfect Well, thank you for that review, Andrea. That was amazing. I can't wait to try it. Yeah. I'm up this week. I'm going to tackle the bake-along, and this is my twist on Betty Crocker, good old Betty, we know her, from BettyCrocker.com, and it's the Make Ahead Peach Breakfast Bake. Now, if you looked at this picture, Andrea, you would say this is a skillet pancake. Okay. I liked it for a couple of reasons you can make it in a skillet you can also just make it in a 13 by 9 inch pan and it's taking advantage of peaches which are still popular and in season here in London and I think probably in the northwest and other parts of the U.S. and the world as well is peaches still going strong for you
1: oh yeah Peaches are really great. They were really good this summer and um, I I like anything with a peach in it. I like to grill them. I like to put them in my smoothies. I love them in ice cream. Yeah.
0: I noticed too that you're going to caramelize the peaches, which you just caramelized onions, so perhaps we have a little mini theme going on this month
1: as well. (laughs) Never hurts.
0: And really after that, it's kind of basic pancake ingredients, but a pancake made with Bisquick. Now Far be it from me to say anything uh, against Bisquick, as loyal listeners will know, one of the first things I learned to make was a coffee cake made with Bisquick. I, for years, made a uh, strawberry shortcake with Bisquick. But Bisquick is really hard to find here. And if it exists, I don't want to pay an exorbitant sum for, frankly, something I really don't bake with that much anymore.
1: I was wondering about that when you mentioned Bisquick, if that was a mostly U.S. phenomenon. So... Yeah. In I, other countries, do they have it? I mean, it's just a, a pre-made biscuit mix.
0: It is. And I haven't seen it. I haven't looked very hard for it. So it might be in like the American food store or mm-hmm. other import stores. The other thing that's hard to find here is like a Jiffy cornbread mix for that, maybe that same reason. So yes. fortunately, Andrea, do you know what the internet has tons of? That's the Bisquick copycat. So.
1: Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: So I found a recipe. I found a ton of recipes, actually. But the one that I'm going to use and modify this with is from a website called The Gunny Sack. Oh. Do you remember Gunny Sack prom dresses? That kind of reminded me of that. Mm. Uh, I don't think this has anything to to do with prom dresses.
1: (laughs) As Gunny Sack as a brand name is what you mean. It was. Yeah. It was a brand name. Not like Mm, literally wearing like a burlap bag as a prom dress. No. Oh, that Mm -hmm.
0: would be a whole other kind of memory, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, Tonya or Tonya Larson uh, over at the Gunny Sack has a good copycat. So I think I'm going to modify her recipe to use in this skillet pancake. And really, Andrea, you caramelize those peaches in some butter, and then you combine your baking mix, and please use Bisquick if you have it and like to bake with it, uh, with some cream, eggs, and vanilla. Pour that over the peaches. The part I like, too, is this is a make-ahead, so you can stick it at that point in the fridge, come back to it, and bake it, only bakes for roughly about 20 minutes combined, then you have a nice big batch of pancakes for a crowd. So I've not ever done that. I've not done pancakes with caramelized peaches. I'm going to give it a try, see what happens with my copycat Bisquick, and hope for the best.
1: Now, Stefan, is this an upside-down breakfast bake like the pineapple upside-down cake we did back in May? I thought initially it was but
0: no actually those okay. peaches are I mean I suppose you could but they are mixed into the batter.
1: Okay. Yep. All right. That's mm-hmm. what I was wondering yep. is if it was one of those where you kind of layered the peaches on the bottom like yeah. the pineapple. I mean you could like you said I think you, you could. could. Yeah. But they're mixed in.
0: They're mixed in. So it's nice we do pancakes a lot but it's nice to have them kind of for a crowd using some fruits of the season and then also try my hand at a copycat. So hopefully that's going to be a win all around.
1: I cannot wait to hear about this one. It sounds so good. And there's something about peaches at breakfast that just feels so healthy to me. I mean, even Mm. though there's some Mm. heavy whipping cream and brown sugar involved. And just a few (laughs) eggs, but you know. Well, yeah. Those peaches. But uh, other than that, super healthy.
0: (laughs) Well, remember, we'll have a link to this recipe for the Betty Crocker Make Ahead Peach Breakfast Bake. In the show notes for this episode, which is episode 194, on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook group.
1: Stefan, we are on a roll with our breakfast bakes this month and couldn't possibly let another week go by without talking about perhaps the most iconic breakfast of all,
0: pancakes. I mean, they're in heavy rotation in both of our kitchens and around the globe. In fact, pancakes are found in almost every cuisine in the world, from American flapjacks to Dutch or for juice, Ethiopian injera to Mexican tortillas. And who can forget our attempt at Japanese souffle pancakes back in June?
1: You know, for all the frustration you and I encountered with those, so many of our listeners had a blast with that recipe. And in fact, listener Barbara even developed some hacks that did not involve a staplist stapler. (laughs) So who knows? Maybe some more Japanese style pancakes are in our future.
0: And though we could devote an entire globe-trotting gourmet to pancakes around the world, in the interest of time, we thought we'd focus on a key to the pancake's success and longevity, its ability to adapt and change with the times, whether that means what's in the batter or what's on top.
1: Let's start with some fun variations on what's inside. Most people are familiar with fruit additions to the batter, like the iconic blueberry. But what about other berries and kiwi or banana or pineapple? Stefan, I think you like Ina Garten's banana sour cream pancakes. Oh, I do. And those are so nice because they have bananas in them
0: and on them. Mm. But back to batter. Try adding peanut butter or bacon or both. Or go savory with feta, pumpkin, sun-dried tomatoes, or
1: even anchovies. Try a boozy batter. Consider adding Prosecco or Baileys. Whip up a gin and tonic pancake. Not a drinker? Dr. Pepper pancakes are a thing, beating out taste tests that used Fanta orange soda and cream soda in the batter. In fact, in a pancake-adjacent note, listener Brad told me that he loved eating waffles made with club soda, so much so that when he got home, he recreated them— But he had to use a lime-flavored LaCroix since it was the only thing he had on hand. (laughs) Brad said he liked those pancakes, but his kids, perhaps not so much.
0: Well, leave it to Brad to be so inspired. (laughs) Pancake presentation can also be a fun way to show off your creativity. Rainbow pancakes are just that. Stacked layers of pancakes that have been made using a variety of colored batter. Pancakes made using molds or cookie cutters in the shape of hearts, shamrocks, or, in my family, the Millennium Falcon.
1: You're such a good mom. We're going to talk more about breakfast trends in general next week, but suffice it to say that for now, pancakes remain a menu item many restaurants would never consider removing. But what has changed is what's being served on top.
0: That's right. According to market research firm TasteWise, the trendiest toppings right now are, get ready, lobster shrimp, grasshoppers, and
1: sea scallops. That's a long way from maple syrup and butter. (laughs) (laughs) But the only thing stopping you from dreaming up your next delicious pancake topping is your imagination. Take it sweet with a s'mores variation of crumbled graham crackers, mini marshmallows, and chocolate syrup. Or veer toward the savory with guacamole and salsa, or traditional pizza toppings like pepperoni and mushrooms, or even saute with grilled chicken and peanut sauce.
0: It could be a really fun build-your-own-bar for a brunch, letting guests choose their own adventure. Just like last week when we talked about hybrid muffins, Andrea, it may not come as a surprise to learn that hybrid pancakes are a huge trend, too. Can you imagine a cupcake, Oreo, or millionaire shortbread pancake? Well, somebody already has. It's out there.
1: And so is the panamisu, a pancake tiramisu. The tatan, a pancake tart tatan, The panchelada, a pancake enchilada. And a Panafi pie, a pancake banafi pie.
0: A final hybrid variation I found rife with possibilities is to use your pancake more like a bun or bread. So pancake hamburgers, anyone? But you could do pancake tacos, pancake fajitas, pancake garlic bread. Andrea, though I love reporting on this kind of stuff, at the end of the day I
1: may be more of a pancake purist i agree honestly the most daring thing i do with my pancakes is put pepper on them <laughs> Ooh. i just love that sweet and spicy combo and despite all of these variations i still return to my tnt mark Bittman's recipe i've been making for nearly 20 years i love it because you can make it ahead of time and store it in the fridge and the standard ingredients of two cups flour two teaspoons baking powder two eggs etc are so easy to double or cut in half In fact, when I double my regular recipe, can you guess what else I might do with it?
0: Um, Invite me over to help eat some?
1: Well, that too. (laughs) But usually I make sheet pan pancakes. You just preheat your oven to 425 degrees, make your pancake batter and let it sit for a few minutes, spray your sheet pan well with Baker's Joy, and then pour your batter in and add your toppings. Pop it into the oven, and 15 minutes later, you have pancakes for a crowd, all without being stuck behind the stove, pouring and flipping.
0: Well, that sounds a lot like the peach pancake I'll be making this week, Andrea. Yes! And, you know, though I dearly love to eat them, pancakes are actually a bake my husband loves to make, and he uses a buttermilk whole wheat recipe from Cooking Light. And, of course, we'll have links to both Andrea and my favorites in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 194. Andrea, do you remember when you were here with me in London one year when we watched the pancake races at Leadenhall Market on Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Day? It's, of course, a well-loved UK tradition where people take to the streets flipping pancakes in a skillet while running a short race. And I hereby promise one day we will enter as Team Preheated. <laughs> okay, well, it's February 16th next year, so we have plenty of time to design our t-shirts. <laughs> Listeners, let us know your favorite pancake possibility Take a picture and tag us on Instagram. We're at Pod, Or shoot us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com.
1: Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning. Next week, we'll see if Stefan's take on Betty Crocker's skillet pancake made her flip. And introduce a breakfast classic we'll both be tackling, the English muffin from preheated fave Gemma over at Bigger Boulder Baking and we'll no doubt have a few laughs as we run down what's trending on breakfast table these days. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please rate, review, and recommend us on your favorite platforms, Here's a few sentences from a recent review we got from listener J.A. over in Canada. And she said, for me, preheated podcast is my decadent and special treat. Really, I don't want to share with anyone else. But because I want to give all the praise and appreciation I can to both of them, I will have to share them with others. Oh, I thought that was really nice.
0: Absolutely. We love those reviews. Keep them coming.
1: Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington.
0: And I'm Stefan Cohn in London.
1: Thanks for listening, be well, and sweet dreams. Heated is written hosted and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th floor productions
0: Well you know that sounds a lot like the pancake I'm tackling this week no response from you <laughs> <laughs> sorry that that really threw me. <laughs>